Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast. All things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. It's a little less crowded than the drop pod this week. It's uh, My name's Eric, and with me is my co-host, Robert. I may be an orc, but I have really small shoulders. Nice. I appreciate that, because I have extra leg room now. But uh, yeah, it's just the two of us this week. That does mean we have a lack of things to talk about. Matter of fact, we have one of the largest tournaments of the season. We have the Kansas City uh, GW event. Uh, lots of big names, lots of big news and lots to talk about from that particular event also some big swag i don't know if you saw some of the pictures we're going to get into that as well uh i'm always good for a good bribe to get me to a tournament and that was um wish i had known some of that stuff was there i was in and had several friends i would have said hey pick me up one of those but uh, we'll get into that in a minute um the first thing is uh some news that came up uh, if you're an Militarum fan you got a new hq unit today stupid guy on a horse yeah, not too popular in our neck of the woods. Um, I just kind of chalked it up as this is why I don't play Astro Militarum, <laughs> which was sad because when I saw the new uh, bottles coming out, the new infantry, I was like, okay, they look less and less like World War II rejects. Um, they're finally looking a little more modern. This could be kind of cool, kind of like Colonial Marines from the Alien movies. And then they come out with this nonsense. I'm like, Napole- we have Napoleon of the 41st millennium? What? What is this? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he may be a stupid guy on a horse, but it's a robotic horse. So is, as far as I can tell, it's not an actual horse. But they made it sound like whatever's left of the horse. Yes, it's mostly cybernetic at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I got a horse. Okay. All right. It, it's just goofy. And then some of the rules, um, it's something that's plagued me from... It's one of the problems when you play this game for so many editions. They always do this, the game designers. They come up with a great idea after the fact, and they shoehorn it into a codex, and you're like, that's a really cool idea, but how come I don't have it? Oh, I know why. My codex came out two years ago. So they have this nifty ability of growling secondaries. I don't know if you have it handy there. I do, in fact. it's He's a college grad because he went to the Collegiate Astralex. A whole bunch of made-up words. We gotta love this game, Eric. Just we, we do. learn that part. I do like. Yeah, we learn fancy words. But it, to summarize it, after secondaries have been picked, you have a single chance to go. I'm going to fix it, and you get to swap one secondary for another one. There is a format that does this. It's called Tempest of War, but you have to pay a command point for it. Um, the other half of it is if you do not swap your secondaries, like most players would, because of the fact that they kind of have a better idea of what they need to do, unless you're me and then you hit the stupid button. <laughs> if you do not swap your secondaries, you all, only on the first command phase of the battle, you gain an additional command point. Which could be handy because if you, especially if you're going first, you know, you, I guess you can. I don't have to look at the new stratagems, but wait a minute, you said something interesting there, and I'm just want to. Most players you think will swap out their secondary, but on the other hand, I see a lot of players that like almost script their secondaries. So, is there what secondaries do you think, from a guard standpoint, where I need to know what my opponent's taking before I wish to switch it out? Well, like for instance. Um, I don't know why, 
but I've had a whole bunch of opponents when they roll up, maybe they're newer to the game and they look at my custode bikes, how large they are, how many wounds they are, how tough they are. They go, oh, those are vehicles, aren't they? And they take, bring it down. I go, I only have um, two points for that, buddy. Like, well, four points, but because of the Caladiuses. So in that instance, that would be when a newer guard player that just picked up the Codex and wants to play Lord Solar and goes, oh, those aren't vehicles? Yeah, they're not vehicles. Then I shall switch my secondary. Hmm. Like, that's realistically the only time I could ever see that happening. But yeah, most higher level players can analyze a list and go, I need to tank them on primary, so I need to take these secondaries. Or I need to take secondaries and I can skyrocket super early because I'm not going to be able to do anything against his primary score. That kind of thing. Got it. I could see it because I don't know if Guard have this coming moving forward. But if you have like one of those secondaries where you stay off my lawn, I get points type thing. And then all of a sudden your opponent says, well, I'm doing engage on all fronts. Oh, he's planning on bum rushing me on turn one with lots of units in my deployment zone. Ah, let's, let's switch that out because I don't think I can keep him going. Yeah. That, that might be a situation, I guess. So, Like going with that same exact scenario, you take the, I, the herd, the prey, or the Necron secondary, I now forget his name because it's been forever, but you do that, your opponent takes engage on all fronts, you then go alright, cool, then I'm going to swap this for grind them down because I just need to kill you out of those corners to make you keep committing. Mm, good point. So it is a little more powerful than I thought. Okay, because I was trying to think this through, okay. So, you know, it seems like a lot of players just kind of script their secondaries based on their list, not so much their opponent, but there is a little more back and forth play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like for instance, if Chaos Knights had this kind of thing where they could swap a secondary before the game actually started, okay, Storm of Darkness is usually a pretty solid secondary, but you can it caps out at twelve because rereading it and hearing other people talk about it, it doesn't have the clause of finishing at the end of the game if that comes before the action actually finishes. Hmm. So you can only ever score 12 points on Storm of Darkness because it finishes during your next psychic phase. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So you can swapping things out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. When do you swap out once secondaries are revealed? Is that when you do the... Or yes. is it after? Okay. Specifically so, when it's revealed, so you don't know who goes first. You don't know who is... I don't remember the exact order, but generally, like people do secondaries before determining who's attacker, defender, and stuff like that. It's as long as everything gets done, that's all I really care about. But I know there's a specific order for it to happen. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's before deployment and before initiative. So, okay, that was my next question. Figure out how far down the rabbit hole are you at that point? But I think you know. So, from an ITC standpoint. Look, it's I think uh, set up you know set up battlefield was before that step, so I think you've already placed terrain and you um, at that point, but you you yeah you don't know who's going first yet, and neither have you seen the other person's army on the field yet. So okay, interesting. So, and in that same article, Eric, yes, they they the box set for the Cadia stands. 
this might as well be a mural to this guy and his horse. Can you guess what his horse's name is? Uh, Constantinian or something like that? Or is it just Trick? Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it makes me mad because the only one who did... No, no, I'm not going on that tangent because Constantine Valdor is better. But anyway, why am I comparing a man to a horse? <laughs> anyway. Does the horse have lung cancer like Keanu Reeves' character? Nah. <laughs> but the the book that comes in that box set is literally just him riding the horse in the scene of a battle. And it's okay, it's a pretty book. But it's just again, it's a stupid guy on a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Do not get it. In case you haven't heard, by the way, Constantine the sequel, the new movie is finally coming out. Ooh, fancy. Yep, Keanu Reeves and uh, the director finally got funding from a studio to film the second one. Curious what they curious what they come up with. Not knocking anyone who likes Imperial Guard and who is going to play the crap out of this model. I know we have one guy on Smite Club that will is flip flopping between playing demons and guard and something else. So, yeah. I don't know. Again, it's it's not my flavor, not my cup of tea. So maybe this appeals to you. I just oh, what the heck is that? But anyway, uh, other news. Yes, you can finally get the rest of your Votan toys. Um, it's amazing seeing how many community people already have some of those toys painted. I was a little surprised by that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know I watched a a video and I saw a third one come up on my feed. Tabletop Tactics already had theirs. Tabletop Titans already had theirs. And then Mini Wargaming also has theirs in. So Games Workshop really wanted Votan to be shown off after the box set. And I know they tend to do this with most community channels where they push kind of a here's a collection of models build something out of it and you'll see like introductory battle reports and stuff with them but clearly like the tabletop titans guys their army they were running against a clone of ben jurek's goths had two battle wagons in it well not battle wagons i think it had two um of the land fortresses in it yeah oh. yeah oh. okay other thing, I know we're a 40K podcast, but just hold on. Listen, hear me out on this one. The Age of Sigmar version of the Balanced Data Slate came out right after the 40K one. And the criteria they use to balance Age of Sigmar is slightly different than what they do in 40K. And it got me thinking. So just to clue you in, if you did not see this, and I don't blame you. So they look at three criteria. External balance internal balance, and universal options. So external balance is the one we always talked about in the 40K side of things, that all factions should have a win rate between 45 and 55%. So we always look at that, oh, I got a 58 win percent, and I'm going to get the nerf bat. The second one took me by a bit of a surprise. Internal balance is at least 60% of the war scrolls, so that'd be your data slates if in 40K, should be used in at least 5% of the army rosters. So I'm assuming they only look at people that actually build armies in their software. 
But uh, that's a very interesting thing to think of is that at least 60% of the units available from the codex is used. Um, you know, 5% is a pretty small sample. I'm thinking, well, Votan, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's only like, what, six units, seven units? Yeah, like 10 or 11. It's the same kind of idea with Custodes where, okay, we have three different shield captains. We have Trajan. We have two different banners. And then one troop's choice. Well, two troop's choices. A whole bunch of elites because of the Vigilators, the Loras, the banners included in there. And then not a lot. And then some fast attack, some heavy support. Like, we have more diversity, but you never really see the the Relic Contemptor Dreadnoughts in our army. You never see the Land Raider. You don't really see Wardens anymore since the Bodyguard world got altered. And don't even get me started on Forge world. <laughs> so. Right. So interesting you mentioned that because it's like, so that's three units out of 18 or so. So yeah, 60% of Custode's army, Custode units show up in most lists, even though it's the same ones over and over again. Okay, fair enough. The And the last criteria that definitely has me kind of scratching my head, and I forget that Sigmar has more of these, is they also judge universal options, which in 40k terms would be stuff like unaligned units, so bastions, defense lines, skyfall landing pads, and they should see those less than 10% of the time in army rosters. And it's interesting which ones they bring up, because... Um... I never knew what this thing does, but we've all seen the model. It's the big purple skull with all this pointy stuff on it. That is included in 15% of all armies in just the last 60 days. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are longtime Wormhammer players, you'll recognize the purple son of Shaish. Oh. The pur yeah, the purple son in old fantasy was effectively a army-wide nuke if it went in the right direction and your opponent failed their initiative rolls because it you would plop it send it in a direction and then your whatever your opponent hit whatever is hit by it take an initiative test if you fail the model just dies it doesn't take damage it's just picked up and disintegrated so i don't remember what it does now in sigmar it might. I, I'm pretty sure it still does mortal wounds, and it does a whole bunch of crazy, weird stuff in an aura because of the fact that it it binds to the caster. So the cast, as long as the caster is alive, it change. I don't know, but the fact that it's seen in 15.1 percent of lists is just obnoxious. That is the equivalent of if people decide to go, hmm, it's the Bastion meta, so that way I can have an extra piece of terrain. Yeah. It's one out of six, so you're going to see it once every GT, at least. Mm -hmm. So um, it's interesting to hear that. So, But I thought the... I'm still back on that internal balance, because I'm thinking like, okay, Stodes, Harlequins, not a lot of units to choose from. Space Marine Codex, how many data slates are in there? <laughs> Too many. I thought you were going to say 200 there for a second, but that wouldn't. Be, I think both are accurate. But um, I'm even thinking, even like the last Chaos list, Chaos Codex came out. You've got 
Cast Space Marine, Legionnaires now, and Cultists as troop choices. You've got, what, at least a dozen characters for HQ choices. Mm -hmm. But that's something you can... Go ahead. And then a whole bunch of elite choices like Possessed and Terminators and Chosen, along with whatever crazy stuff goes on because of, like, pulling in Plague Marines or Rubric Marines, that kind of, like, weird stuff. It is weird stuff, but down thinking about it, you probably don't, looking at a lot of the archetypes we talk about on the show in previous episodes, do you see more than half of the units appearing in most of the Chaos lists, even though most of the Chaos lists are uh, creations of Bile lately and a lot of Black Legion with Abaddon in it? Um, yeah. You know, you just rattle off, there's four or five elite choices that are almost in every list. Okay. So what you're not seeing a lot of, you're not seeing a lot of Chaos Bikes, that's okay. Um, probably not as many Heldrakes as you thought you would. Probably not as many Forge Fiends. Or, no Hellbrutes. Um, Hellbrutes, um, yeah. No, the Mauler Fiends can pop up because they work really well in Word Bearers and stuff like that. Mm, mm. Um, while we see, we see Disco Lords, we see Masters of Possession, and you see Havocs like once every blue moon called Emperor's Children. But in general, yeah, the the problem with our meta is as soon as someone figures out a list that has really solid shooting in it, like we can actually use Chaos Knights, for instance. No one takes the Huntsman because the Huntsman is just the classic Warglaive. And that's really the only one that we never see in a Chaos Knights army, aside from the Spoiler, which is a big knight because it's expensive, and the Tyrant. Those are the only three knights that I could even see not popping on the table even once. The Rampager has a chance if you do a more melee-focused ver melee version of the army. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's... Abominants, Desecrators, Carnivores, Executioners, Brigands, and Stalkers. So what you described there, that means of the six knights are used regularly, four are not. So 60% criteria is met. Yeah. So the, the internal balance thing is definitely a refreshing thing because Sigmar does play into you can spam more of the same unit because of the fact that there's no realistic rule of three number as far as I can remember outside of you're restricted to a certain number of monsters and certain number of characters. But other than that, it's like, okay, I'm going to bring four beast, stone horn beast riders. Whoop-de-doo. Huh? <laughs> like... Spam all the things. I have four models and a handful of chaff. Interesting. I was not aware of that. They didn't have the rule of three. Okay. Yeah. It, it's because of the fact that they limit the certain keywords. So you can't just bring a whole bunch of monsters and stuff. But then again, the monsters are also really expensive. Right. So, so one last question on this subject, and the uh, reason why I bring it up, I was reworking how I calculate uh, a favorite segment on our show, which is the mid-table obscurity update. And one of the things that we've been doing it is just what how I do it, actually, is um, I go to BCP, and I 
pick a time frame and I run it each by faction and I write down every time that somebody goes to a GT how many wins they had and normally only focused on how many times they went two wins or three wins so I got an idea of the mid table but I was looking at that as this well how many times does an army do well but not win so you know we always talk about this win rate between 45 and 55 percent so if an army consistently goes 60 percent of the time or 65 percent of the time but rarely wins a tournament, rarely goes undefeated, do they deserve to be nerfed? <laughs> that one would come down to on, like, obviously, Le Leviathan Tyranids was the problem child. Because the army was just incredibly durable, people would bring 27 warriors, and they just wouldn't care. Because they would walk across the table, have harpies, have a yo-yoing hive tyrant. But now that they got touched, the Tyranid Warriors, the Tyranid Warrior spam is not as an effective an idea anymore because that's like 300 points a unit that just gets eaten alive by things now because of the fact that it gets wounded normally. Yeah, so and I'm hearing a lot more people kind of switching from Leviathan to Kraken now, so they get a little more speed. Yeah, yeah, Raveners are scary. Expect Raveners spam now. Yeah. So we, uh, so as I do more of this, uh, well, I have more to talk about. I was hoping I was get it done for this tonight's show, but uh, I totally forgot about getting this done and getting ready for Halloween this evening. So um, hopefully you'll have it ready for next show. But just curious to see as I do that how many armies are consistently doing well without being in a position to win tournaments. So I'll be curious to see if that really does show up or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the last thing I want to touch on on the, the AOS data slate is not even about the game. It's about a, a quality of life thing. They actually point <laughs> out that the new rules are highlighted in a different color. Yeah, gee, crazy technology there. Yeah, that makes things so much smoother. Be a little bit easier. But anyway, those are potential changes, and uh, we're curious to see how that plays out. In the meantime, let's uh, talk a little bit about this week's uh, tournament action. We had mentioned we have two events we're going to talk about tonight, one in Maryland, England, one here in good old Kansas City, known for some great barbecue. Let's start in uh, across the seas there, see how the Goonhammer event went. Well, the top five was was bu -bu 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 -bum. extremely diverse. No duplicate armies. But we have Scott Morris with Necrons. We have Chris Patterson with Blood Angels. Then third place... We have Matt Robertson with Harlequins. In second place, we have Jonathan Clark with Adeptus Sororitas. And in first place, we have Josh Roberts with Chaos Space Marines. And I'm saying Emperor's Children. Sounds about right. So interesting yeah. to see some of the uh, WTC, excuse me, WTC players, is what I'm trying to say, um, come making the resurgence in the singles tournaments now that they're, they're free to playlists they want to play as opposed to ones that they're locked in for their uh, team tournament so starting to see some big names back on the tournament circuit that are not named Manny Chima or Vic Vijay mm -hmm. or David Gaylard so I'd be curious to see if that continues with a little bit of time left still in the season well the only reason why Manny Chima wasn't over there is because he was over here 
Yeah, that guy gets around quite a bit. I'm a little jealous. But anyway, um, we able to confirm good old Josh Roberts' list is indeed Emperor's Children. Yep, and it is a whopping one, two, three, four units of noise marines, 20 cultists in total. And then the brick of 10 terminators with the black rune, so they're obnoxious. And then two units of five possessed. And the master of possessions, uh, Mar- the, a demon prince, and a dark apostle. That's pretty cool. Yep. Pretty typical what we've been seeing all along. Uh, and it's interesting, the Emperor's Children, uh, the noise marines still are <laughs> using models from 5th edition. Yep, they're tiny. They can hide behind everything. <laughs> <laughs> they're so annoying, by the way, because they're they were originally metal, and then they switched them over to fine cast. So the arms that make the all the sonic weapons are like an add-on kit. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, so you mean fail cast, right? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I did a conversion back in the day because I used to play um, Noise Marines a lot. And my demon, uh, my, um, oh crap, what were they called? Anyway, the sergeants, they had a special we- uh, weapon, a special noise. For, um, oh, the noise Masters? Nope, the other one. It's Doom Siren. There we go. Sorry. Mm. So basically what this did, you took a Doom Siren, and then you paired it with either a Sorcerer or a Demon Prince with the uh, Lash of Submission. So what this list did is when you uh, hit you with the Lash of Submission, I rolled the Scatter Dice, and... I was allowed to move your unit. So major hobby faux pas. You, know, you hope to God I wasn't like eating Cheetos right before I rolled the dice. And I grabbed your models. And not only do I move it in the direction that the scatter dice went to. And of course, if you rolled a hit, I could choose the direction, by the way. But then I could redeploy them in that. So like I pick one model and then they. So the idea is that I would move them closer to my guys with the Doom Siren, which is a flamer weapon. This is back in the day when we still had... Uh, uh, templates and i'd line them up like bowling pins in a perfect triangle so i could fit the whole unit underneath the flamer template and the doom siren would then go off and then, of course back then we didn't have the current ap system it was ap3 so if you were a i don't know gray knight which was really popular at the time i uh, you got no uh armor safe so just pick up your unit of strike squads now, the problem with this is that the bit to make that stupid weapon on his backpack was made of metal, but you had it on a plastic model. Those things have fallen over all tournament long. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Like, Hey, at least it wasn't like a metal hive tire or something like that. Oh, yeah. Another fun story. I was early days of making terrain. I made this really cool swamp board, and this guy had a metal uh, dreadnought, and he thought it'd be cool. Oh, it died, and he turned it on its side. Um, somehow the weight of the um, metal dreadnought started to soak into the water effects that I used. And we had to somehow pry this thing out without removing a layer of paint. Oh, that was embarrassing. (laughs) That is definitely (laughs) an interesting bit because I know for... If you guys saw on the Facebook post, I have started on a terrain board. I now know the error of my ways of pouring a whole lot of glue to 
glue down my little billboard and it leaked out the back. So I might as well have been that dreadnought. So are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza, decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com, and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play indeed. So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes, and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you, when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Oh, I forgot to mention, some people are asking, um, where did I go for uh, Halloween? Uh, any guesses, Robert? Cypher. I did, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the costume that arrived last year on November 3rd was very convenient. Thank you for showing up just in time for after Halloween. I finally wore it this year. So, (laughs) But yes, I think it's about time we (laughs) hop over to Kansas City because there's no place like home, right? That's right. By the way, yeah, what's the last time you saw Cypher in a chaos list? Let's put them in a Dark Angels list next time and see what happens. There was a time you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, for the U.S. Open, for the Kansas City Open, so GW's own grand tournament, the top five is something like this. We have Sean Rice with Demons. We have John Lennon with Kraken. Um, I don't know his full record, but he... I can look at that later. Third place, I think we found him. He's here in Kansas, Manichima, with a thousand sons. The man has worse army ADD than Ray does. Yeah, Ray switching armies, by the way, if you have been following on the show. <laughs> if we get him to play more often, he could be best in faction in like 11 categories. <laughs> yeah, that'd be true. In second place, we have Brent Simon with more demons. And in first place, 
we have Zach Kerstetter. And this one kind of drummed up a lot of hype because he went completely undefeated with Blood Angels. And his last round was into Manny Chima, winning 100 to 99. So if you're like, whoa, who's Zach's? So Zach's from the uh, Denver area. He's part of the Denver Mountain Trolls. And we had to look him up as well. Uh, so far this season, uh, he came in second at the Free State GT. He was fifth in the Storm of Silence. Uh, and then before that, he was finished 13th at Flying Monkey, 15th at Boise Cup, and 34th at Battleshock. So the standings right now, he is in 900th and 98th place without this score. For some reason, Games Workshop can't get their scores in quickly. I don't understand why. It's You push a button. It's not hard. But anyway, that's just my sputtering off. So, um, yeah, if you've not heard of uh, Zach, uh, Neither did we. So, <laughs> not sure what where this came from, but uh, goes to show you, you you got to play if you want to win. So that's pretty cool. Ah, I uh, so me going off on random tangent. I found where John's oops was in round five. He lost to Brent Simon. There we go. So another guy in the top five. So some real big mentions before we look at what is probably 15 sanguinary guard <laughs> 10 death company and a whole bunch of other stuff in blood angels in seventh place we have coat boy yeah thomas reedy and eighth place right behind him we have the, the luscious locks himself sean naden again we're not sure why he's playing orcs maybe he's an eldar in disguise somewhere Sean, what are you doing? And, and I need to ask because I'm not. You're more up on orcs than I am, Robert. Is it a Sean Naden orc list, or is it just kind of the run of the mill orc list? Well, let's see. Because I always heard that Naden was a kind of a weird lad when it came to Eldar. Like He's an alch yeah, he was an alchemist when it came to army building. Okay, so he has Zagstruck. Oh. Normal war boss, a weird boy, some beast nagger boys, regular boys, 30 Gretchen, Mega Knobs, Knob of the Wah Banner, some Squig Hog boys, some Storm boys, two Battle Wagons, Thraka, a beast boss on Squigasaur, weird boy Gretchen. So his list plays more into the update secondaries like um, Green Tide and Get the Good Bits and stuff like that where it wants to be in corners of the table, but it doesn't use commandos, so he's using a lot of movement and positioning to hide his army. Because, I mean, the battle wagons are huge. They they can carry 20 boys. So if they're not carrying Meganob, like one could be carrying Meganobs, the other one is completely carrying all the boys. So, so what you're saying is he is playing an Eldar army in disguise. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, Boss Zagstruck is the Stormboy character. So he has a character that can just start off the table or whatever, I guess. But eh, I haven't played Orcs in a while and... I'm not going to try and go back, but yeah, no, he has a whole bunch of big old beat sticks with the war boss and everyone else. 
Yeah. I, I remember playing against that character before. He's a lot harder to kill than he than he looks. <laughs> and then in 14th place, we have the Glacial Geek. We got Phil. Hey! Woo! <laughs> yep. But other than that, I don't recognize very many other names because I haven't been playing that long. Now, let's see if I was right. How many Sanguinary Guards does this guy have? Indeed. <laughs> well, I was wrong. It's what? only 10 Death Company. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, nope. nope, never mind. There's 15. He has. He actually has two detachments in his list. But you want him as a Vanguard. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so he has a patrol with Dante and the Martes. Oh. An Incursor squad. And then here's the first two Death Company. All of them have four Thunder Hammers in them. Wow. Had to chop points somewhere. And then the Vanguard is Sanguinary Priest. And then the rest of the Death Company, all with Chainswords. Ancient, and then I was close. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times three. Twenty-one sanguinary guard. Ouch! Well, I guess with carmine blades and uh, storm shields, every single one has in carmine swords, and one of them has a single infernal pistol. The other two have two infernal pistols. Uh, and then a random assault squad. Well, that helps them get to that sixty percent of uh, data slates being used in the army. And then an a single eliminator squad, and a whirlwind. You know, I've been hearing more and more about these eliminator squads making it back into the meta. Yeah, last fusils hurt. I have to kind of research those. Like, what do they do, and why are they making a comeback? So, I guess in, in the current meta, taking out some of those heavy targets, and they can forward deploy. I believe, correct? Yeah, they forward deploy because they they stealth, and they're just like commandos, where they just forward deploy outside of your deployment zone, outside of nine of your opponent. But they're really obnoxious to shift out of terrain because their camo cloaks stack with armor of contempt and light cover. I remember that. Yeah, I'm trying to kill those things where like, I put on 80 shots. Oh, I got a zero up save. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, or me shooting a a salvo launcher, which is AP minus four, mind you, into a Phobos librarian that was in light cover. So I go from AP4 to AP3, and this man still had a 4-up save. <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. Yeah. But Armor of Contempt is here to stay. It's fine. It's whatever. I've accepted it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, a few other names of note. Um, in sixth place, Dan Sammons, uh playing Tyranids. So nice to see him making a nice run there. And Mark Esch uh, in 13th place with Chaos Demons. Andrew Gagno um, also made an appearance at 24th place with Farsight Enclaves. That part is it's not surprising. I don't remember Andrew Gagno being on the Art of War team, so maybe I missed that, but apparently he's on Art of War now. Daniel Sanson with Leviathan. Uh, he ended up coming in 28th place. 
and then rounding out uh bam bam hunter uh the founder of the original flying monkey gt um interesting enough came in 36th place with surprise surprise space wolves the army that he loves so yep and colin mcdade also made it there he was down in 42nd place the best number because he can technically make it whatever number he wants especially playing uh sisters he can just use a fate die and change his standings yeah yeah true if the, if those of you understand the nerd joke that i made there you get two claps if you don't understand it then go look up what 42 means <laughs> indeed but yes it this event had almost 200 people at it yeah uh other notice ben Sherwin in 51st place and um so yeah really interesting to see and it's yeah it's really brought some of these players out so two quick questions regarding that is yeah between the gw events and the frontline gaming events um do we you know have we finally reached tournament saturation at this point with what we kind of talked about last time where we were talking about the flg schedule Mm -hmm. that very much means you can go to a major event almost every month of the year and not have to struggle to go and play in at least one. I know for me, because of some things we've talked about off air, I am less inclined to go to the games workshop events because reasons. Um, the, the FLG events though, I'm most likely going to be up in Colorado in March, and that's going to be really cold. And I hope none of my nights break on the way up there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, one other thing is to say you got good swag. You're probably going to bring me to the event. And a couple of folks were showing off the swag they're giving out at these GW events. And I'm first thing I'm thinking of is, wow, first of all, when did Games Workshop get into the neoprene business? And number two, how do I get objective markers that look like that? Those are cool. Because mm, I didn't... Do you have any photo evidence of these two shares? So that's the way I may see them? Yes, let me see if I can find them again. But, um, yeah, they were pretty amazing. And I remember a couple of the guys at our tournaments had from their events as well. They had some... And I was like, where did these come from? Yeah, like getting swag at a major event is always really nice. I know for us at Smite Club Open, we did our best. We were, we were able to make t-shirts for everyone. Don't know if everyone got their t-shirts. And also the general goodie bag that had like a granola bar and stuff in it. But taking away something solid like an objective marker or like heck even um maybe a like an enamel pin or something showing that you went there would be very refreshing to see because you're like i was here i did the thing but again not everyone can do that and have it be sustainable yeah i mean some of those are kind of cool some of them are like like the challenge coins i'm like I, I don't know what the point of these are, but um, but like you know, uh, some game aids are really a really cool idea. Like I could always use a, a new ruler, you know, one of those like measuring tools that has like the six inch, four inch, two inch on it. 
yeah, the gauges and stuff like that. And then, yeah, if you, like, I know at Scorched Earth, we were able to get a single objective pad from the Geekery. Or, I'm not, I don't remember it right now. I'd have to go and look at it. But we got a single objective marker from them for everyone. So, if you end up not wanting it, then you can give it to your opponent, and eventually you can call it collect an entire set of six. Yeah. Take me a minute here to find this. Yep. I'm also having trouble finding the schedule, but I know it was the only months that they didn't have stuff going on were November and December and then like I want to say June. Because they had BAO slotted for May, and then after that was the Lone Star Open in July. I believe those were the days in question. Interesting. But if you cannot find the America, it's not such a big deal because most of our other viewers cannot see these things. Well, if I can't, I will try and see if I can put it on our Facebook page just get an idea what these things look like. But because um, I remember another, you know, they were, they were in short supply because I know the one guy at our event was telling us the, the uh, lengths they had to get through to actually get one of these items because apparently they were sold out. So... But it's just like, wow, where, where where is this on your guys' website? But then again, it's hard enough just to buy like certain models. So I guess maybe why it's not on the website. <laughs> yeah, no, if, if Games Workshop made actual neoprene objective markers for each faction, those things, you would have to have a queue for people to buy those. Because I know... Um, big faction fans would buy them for the sake of I'm going to show up with my custodes, with my custodes dice and custode objective markers. I'm going to have a golden tape measure and I'm going to wear golden armor that's big and bulky and oversized and I'm going to be a total... I'm totally kidding. I wouldn't be a total jerk. Although I would have all of that and look like a super duper fanboy. I would do that. <laughs> except, except yours, Eric. You would hold the objective marker and go, "Ow, ow! Why is it poking me? Ow!" Yeah, that's true. Or like, "Ew, it's all slimy." Well, other thing I would love is maybe it's because back in the it is definitely a hobby opportunity. But you know, keep if you got raised banners, you gotta you gotta have banners that you're actually raising. So that'd be kind of cool if you actually got some like these are banners that you're supposed to put on your objectives to show you raised the banner. Yeah, like I know I, I'm reusing the old metal objective markers from the super limited eighth edition collector's edition custode book that I got off of someone that still had all six of them. Wow, and those things are heavy. <laughs> like they're heavier than a poker chip, and they're roughly about forty millimeters, but. Yeah, no, it's, here's a banner. That's mine. Or sticky objectives. That one's mine. 
So another, I won't call it a controversy, but it was definitely a discussion point from this tournament, was at one point, uh, Manny Shima did have to go up against um, Sean Naden. And so obviously two top players of the fact of the uh, game, but uh, I guess people were upset that somehow their game did not finish. They did not get all five rounds in, and people thought this was a uh, show of, I don't know, just wasn't a good showing for top players. How important is it to truly finish your games at some point? Well, it would really come down to the fact that from the talks of the internet, it sounded like Sean and Manny had gotten into turn three. And sometimes when you and your opponent look at the table in round three, because either your opponent got a really strong turn where they took off half of your army or whatever, or they, or they bounced and you still have a whole bunch of army left and both you and your opponent know what's going to happen next. It could lead to people going, okay, well, you're going to do this. This thing is going to die. You're going to do this and take this objective from me. And because you did A and B, I'm not going to be able to take any more objectives. Blah, 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 blah. Like the entire argument of people foreseeing an entire game from turn three onwards. So they just stand there and talk it out. And as we all know that in the ITC code of conduct it is poo-pooed for talking out your game and your game would much rather end with a natural conclusion when dice is called. But yeah, it's sometimes the writing is just on the wall. Because I know I had a game the other day where I I beat up a a newer AdMac player. AdMac is super complicated, and he was remembering his he was remembering the imperatives. He was remembering everything. But on on his first turn, all he did was a single mortal wound to one of my Cleaniuses with his bomber flying off the table. I kill two infiltrator squads. Second turn, he he shoots a little bit. He gets one of my bike squads down to a dude. And he cuts a Caladius in half. And it's like, oh, well, okay, you're doing a good job. And his flyer comes back. But then from there, I ate 20 Vanguard. I ate the plane. I destroyed four Castellan robots and I killed his marshal and a tech priest. I literally neutered his army on my second turn. There was nothing left for him to do because of the fact that I still had 10 of my 12 bikes. I was just playing mean. That's, and I'm just like, the writing on the wall was after my second turn, and I could tell he was getting frustrated because of the fact that he was only he was hitting a whole bunch of times, but his AP was super low. So I'm just okay. I have three up saves and four up armor saves and all this other stuff because you're you're shooting strength three guns into toughness six models. I didn't give him much of a choice. Yep. So it's that that kind of scenario is when the writing is on the wall. 
of now nah, the game's gonna end this way we can just pack up go get lunch and call it a day but you can also have games where like in our local league i had a, a game of chaos a chaos nightmare match where it was 13 war dogs against my my 110 list because i failed a i <laughs> i failed a four inch charge into three war dogs with my big guy i lost the game by something like 13 points or something like that wow where if i had made the charge i kill the war dogs off of the objective I, well, I kill two of the three war dogs and I hold the middle objective and I score more points. It, it was a super close game. So that's where it's like the writing is not on the wall and you actually have to play it out. But that's really hard to judge when both players are trying to rush through a two and a half hour game. And I'm assuming you were not able to find this photo. <laughs> Still looking for it, so I have more pictures of the barbecue that was served there, but not the actual swag that was given away. I've seen some of the prizes they gave away, which are pretty uh, swanky as well, but uh, still have not found this photo. So uh, if you have pictures of it, send it our way, because I cannot find it now. Maybe it was uh, the Inquisition has scrubbed it from existence. Maybe. It's heretical to talk about it, I guess. Indeed. Just like my cipher costume. <laughs> but yes, on on the topic of photos and stuff, I'm I know for when I go out to LVO here in a few months, I think I might actually try to get photos and videos and post it up on the Facebook page while I'm there, given the internet can handle a whole bunch of people checking BCP and no one watches anything appropriate on the laptop this time. Yeah, don't count on that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so let's take a quick look then. Well, yeah, hopefully get some more of our hobby progress onto the Facebook page. But in the meantime, you know, we forgot. I just see top 10. So this again, not including Kansas city this uh, week, but um, which it still, again, blows my mind that they cannot figure that out. But whatever. It literally is end tournament hit push button. So, uh, <laughs> just hey, me. man, sometimes they forget to hit the button. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, the t- top 10 looks something like this. 10th uh, place, Ennis Wilson. 9th place, Nassim Forshawn. 8th place, Stephen Crawley. 7th place, Manny Chima. Obviously, that might change with the results from this weekend. 6th place, Colin McDade. Also in line to see some changes. John Mc- uh, Lennon in 5th place. Uh, potentially could leapfrog over Thomas Ogden in fourth, uh, David Gaylord in third, Vic Vijay in second, Jack Harpster still holding down the top spot with 1,464 points. So I'll be curious to see how those change once the scores are entered into the system. Any other projects you're working on on the side there? Um, well, I do have a 
Decimator Warjack that I have built and ready to be primed and painted to see if I can do justice for that. Because, yeah, I've played two or three games of War Machine now. It is, in fact, a very fun game outside of it being frustrating. (laughs) But what game isn't fun and also frustrating when it involves six-sided dice? So, occasionally, you might see some of that also pop up on the Facebook page. If not, you can follow it on my Instagram, which will also be used for event recording now. If I can remember to take photos, it may take Eric and Ray to yell at me to do it. Take a picture! Ah, okay, Dad! (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, no. The display board is coming along nicely. I'm going to need a lot of gray paint. I recommend Home Depot. Yeah. Otherwise, not an eventful week for me. All right. I have been my my latest fascination is I believe I've seen the future extinction of gaming mats, and that is you replace your game mat with a flat screen TV underneath a piece of plexiglass. So I'm looking at all these Dungeons & Dragons players who are using that to do their game tables. I'm like, I want that for 40K. So what I've priced out so far is a 74-inch um, TV should be big enough to cover a 40K table. And it's only around 600 bucks new. So, you know, we'll see. Well, Eric, you're, you're living beautiful, beautiful dreams. But imagine how that would look trying to stream a game on that you would just see shadows of models coming off of the tv screen hmm let me ponder this further i know it takes a little practice here but i think i think i can make this work just all of the lights make the room 95 degrees (laughs) i'm just thinking all the power cords running around everywhere oh my god that'd be crazy have to have the generator set off to the side somewhere in a soundproof room so that you don't hear it on camera. Exactly. But anyway, that is our show for this week. Uh, please check out uh, our sponsors as well. Uh, one of the big things is, yes, that's correct. Uh, the guys from the Necronomnom have a new book out uh, featuring cocktails based off of the Cthulhu themes. So definitely look at that. That is available in all your major bookstores, including Barnes and Noble. So, um, grab it while you can because the last few times i try to grab it it is sold out so it's uh, quite popular so check it out when you can in the meantime my name's eric i'm robert and thank you for listening to the exterminatus podcast